0: All right, I'm really excited that tomorrow is November 30th because that means November is over. (laughs) What was that? Yay? Uh, Yeah, so I am bearded right now, and uh, I'm tired of it. But it's been a good month. A lot of the guys in the church have been uh, growing out their beards for November uh, for uh, awareness for prostate cancer, something men do, uh, to grow a mustache for November. But, yeah, it all comes to an end tomorrow. So... That is exciting. Um, we've been uh, in a series on the book of Daniel, and uh, each week we've been looking at a, a different story in Daniel and kind of going chapter by chapter, and what we find is that every chapter is kind of a, a story unto itself, and is, if you read it, you, you find that every chapter kind of has a, a plot and tension and a climax and then a resolution, um, but then if you put the story side by side, what you find is that there's this uh, bigger narrative happening through the book of Daniel. And so we've been looking at uh, a couple different stories, and there's a lot of ground to cover in Daniel, and so we're ending the series today. I might come back to it in the spring, because it's such an interesting book. Uh, but I want to look at Daniel's chapter 6 today, and uh, Daniel chapter 6 uh, is a story of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, has anyone heard of Daniel in the lion's den? It's a pretty familiar story, I think, for, for most people. Um, And I I want to start in verse 25 and just read kind of the ending of the story and then work backwards. And so, uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues, and he saves, and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this takes place sometime in around the 5th century, uh, before the Uh, the days of Jesus and there's this man named Daniel and he follows God and because of that he gets thrown to the mouth of the lions and the lions don't kill him he survives sometime around the first century after the time of Jesus a number of uh, Christians are following God and they get thrown to the lions in Rome and they don't survive You have this interesting outcome of, one, being faithful with the lions. God delivers them. And then you have these followers of Jesus in the first century who are faithful, and they're not. There's this mystery to following Jesus. There's a mystery to life with God. We don't always understand how the relationship with God works or what necessarily outcomes are from that relationship. And even as we dive into the book of Daniel, what we find is that uh, Daniel is, is living in Babylon. His entire world has been destroyed. Daniel's people have been conquered, and they find themselves in exile. They find themselves with everything they know about life. Every system that was in place is now broken. And they find themselves in exile. And I think the reason that it's important to dive into a book like this is because we live in a world that is broken. We live in a world where we experience a different kind of exile. We know that things aren't as they should be. We know that things aren't right. There, there's pain. There's, there's tension. There are difficult relationships. Moving into the holiday season sometimes is a painful reminder of how broken our world is when sometimes it's a time of great rejoicing and celebration and other times It's a reminder of people that we've lost or people uh, that we've been in community with and relationship with, and those relationships have been broken and severed. And so even as we head towards the Christmas season, we're reminded that the world isn't right. And as we kind of read through Daniel, we try to to figure out how this this person who's seeking to follow God in the midst of exile uh, interacts with the world around him. And so the first week, we looked at this story of just entering into exile. And, and as uh, the Jewish people get pulled to Babylon, away from their homeland, everything about their world falls apart. And you have all of these different writers in this time period who are, who are prophets and poets. And they're saying things like, uh, like, like in Psalms, where it talks about how we sat at the rivers of Babylon and we just wept for everything that we lost. And there's another prophet named Jeremiah who says... Uh, and he talks about even though you're in exile, God is with you and he has a plan for you. And he's calling you to pray for the prosperity of the city and to establish roots and to build homes and to marry and to multiply. And when you do that, God will rescue you. And in the second week, we had this story about uh, how, how when Daniel and his buddies get to Babylon... Uh, they not only have their world destroyed, but now they're being brainwashed into the culture of Babylon, and the king Nebuchadnezzar uh, does this very strategically by isolating them and by stripping them of their identity, and uh, and to uh, to get them to indulge in the pleasures of Babylon and to indoctrinate them into. Uh, the philosophy of Babylon. And we talked about as a church how we're called not to isolation but to community, to live life with one another, to find our identity in Christ and not in the world around us, and to not just give in to the spirit of the age, to be indoctrinated into the philosophies of our culture, but to stay true to Scripture and to finally not indulge in things that uh, would defile us. And then story after story, of these impossible situations where this group of followers of God respond and are faithful, even in impossible situations. And what we find is that they flourish. They flourish in exile. And so the question I want to kind of continue to wrestle with today, even as we approach Daniel and the Lions, is how do we as followers of Jesus not only survive in exile, but flourish in any circumstances? To live the life that God has called us to live here and now. Last week we talked about how uh, one of the key elements uh, to surviving and flourishing in a world of brokenness is this idea of faithfulness. God has called us to be faithful. And there was a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, uh, we don't even know what's going to happen if we're faithful to God. And they're basically uh, told that if they don't worship this golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to be thrown to the fiery furnace. And they say, we're not going to do that because that would compromise our identity and who God has called us to be. And we don't want to compromise that. We will be faithful to that. And what we find is that in that faithfulness, they survive the fiery furnace. Faithfulness is this key ca- characteristic of legends. Be faithful. So today I kind of want to talk about what does it mean to be faithful? How are we faithful? And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3, we'll just look at this story quickly of uh, Daniel in the lion's den. The story is set up and it says in chapter 6, verse 1, it, was, it pleased Darius, who's now the king, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. And now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The story opens with Daniel getting a promotion. The story opens with Daniel being successful. His world is expanding, and it's because of his character. And when we read that... uh, I find it interesting that all of us probably want that to some extent in life. We want our world to expand, we want to succeed, we want promotions at work, we want to be successful. That's all okay, that's all great. I, I'm, I'm that way, I, I want to, to grow as a professional and have uh, my career take off. And what we see is Daniel, that's happening for him. Things are going really, really well. And oftentimes when we come to stories in the scripture where there's a crisis, we think things are going really poorly for a person. But for Daniel, things are going really well. And what we find is oftentimes when we're doing well in life, there's a moment of vulnerability. When we're doing well and when we're succeeding, sometimes is where we can get tripped up. And for Daniel, it happens because of outside forces. Verse four says, at this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. So there are other kind of government officials in the land who are jealous of Daniel and his success. We've got a word for this in our culture. They're called trolls, right? These people start trolling Daniel because of his success says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and either corrupt or negligent. And finally, these trolls, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they finally figure out how to trap him. And they realize that for Daniel, the one thing he doesn't compromise on, his integrity is based on this relationship with God. And if we can hit him there, we can finally get Daniel to fall. I find it interesting that in this story, it almost reminds me of of the life of Jesus. Jesus, uh, as he gains an audience, he has trolls or Pharisees who are very suspicious of him or jealous of him. And they're constantly kind of coming after him, trying to trip him up, uh, trying to basically get him to uh, stumble or be, I don't know, destroyed or something. And it seems like here we have the same thing with the end of these guys are coming after him. out of their, their jealousy to get him uh, to fall. And they finally find a way to get him. They say, uh, if it has something to do with the law of his God, he's going to not be able to overcome the situation we put him in. So these administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever because they're kind of kissing up to him. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. You feel like there should be like sinister music there, like dun, dun, dong. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> now you're... <laughs> Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, who cannot, uh, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree into writing. So basically they said, 30 days, no one could pray to any other god or any other person but you, Darius. And Darius is this leader, and he's probably egotistical, and he probably is trying to consolidate his power and gain more power. And he says, that sounds like a good idea. That... Yeah, that'll probably help me with kind of controlling these people and having them, their loyalty to me. So he's like on board with it. Uh, Verse 6, chapter, or verse 10, chapter 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. That's interesting. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God and Here's the phrase, just as he had done before. So Daniel knows what this decree is. But he goes back and he just continues to do what he's always done. He opens his window. He faces Jerusalem. He is reminded of who he is, what his identity is coming from Jerusalem. He's reminded of who God's called him to be. And three times a day, he just stops, pauses, limits everything, And praise to God. He doesn't do anything different with this decree, and that's also interesting because uh, once the decree is is laid down, Daniel doesn't try to wear religion on his sleeve or wear you know who he. I'm just trying to be this great person for God, and I'm going to make a statement. Or all he does is he does what he always does. He's got this practice, this rhythm of connecting with God. This is a routine for him where he's grounded. It's his anchor. And he doesn't waver from that because of this decree. He just continues to be who he's called to be. Three times a day, he gets down on his knees and prays. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel, praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did we not publish a decree That during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Bum, bum, bum. The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, which is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing, he still prays three times a day what we find is, this obviously puts Darius in a situation where he has to act and enforce the law. We find that Darius knows who Daniel is because as Daniel's been rising and being promoted in his position grows, Darius kind of likes him. But Darius laid down this decree, and now everyone's going to find out, does he enforce it or not? Daniel still prays three times a day. The other thing I find interesting in this story is that Daniel here is stuck in a difficult situation. And just like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they're constantly in these impossible situations. But in the midst of their situation, there is this commitment to faithfulness, to who God is. They don't understand what the outcomes are going to be of the situations that they're in, even though they're difficult, whether they face lions or the fire but they're going to be faithful. And there's a simple equation uh, for those who are linear thinkers that I think is found in the story for Daniel. And it's here's the equation. Seeking the presence of God plus spiritual practices equal the possibility of transformative faithfulness. If faithfulness, we defined it last week as... uh, kind of an ongoing trust over the course of a lifetime, what we find is that being faithful in small things leads to transformation in our world, and our culture, and our families. It's almost like uh, to, to, to continue to do the same thing over and over again, uh, there, there's something powerful about that. I'm not talking about like the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over if it doesn't work, Um, But being faithful in these small things, there's transformative faithfulness that we find from these young men in this story. And for Daniel, seeking the presence of God plus spiritual practices equals the possibility of transformative faithfulness. Uh, Men's group, Thursday morning, 6.30. We've been going through this book called The Celebration of Discipline. And we've been kind of honing in on spiritual practices in our own life. And what we've found is that these practices, which can seem very ritualistic, are actually very life-giving and freeing. And for us, it's where we find our center. And so for the last uh, couple months, we've been looking at these practices, which are, I don't know if you have a, yeah, oh, great. They're on the screen. How many? Prayer. Uh, Prayer could be meditation. It could be talking to God. It could be just listening, but spending time in prayer. Scripture, the study of Scripture, the reading of Scripture, um, to dive into God's Word. Fasting, which is miserable, but we find that there's something very freeing about the act of fasting simplicity, solitude, surface, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. This week, I think we're on guidance, which is great. But we've been talking about these, these are kind of uh, disciplines and spiritual practices. Uh, that we put in our life as followers of Jesus. And the purpose of these spiritual practices is we create space for God to show up when we do these practices. For Daniel, stopping three times a day for prayer, he creates space for God to show up. And if we uh, seek the presence of God through these practices, that's where transformational Faithfulness comes in. The story of Daniel, when he goes into the lion's den, what we'll find is that the lions don't touch him. And the next morning, when the king comes to see if he's been devoured, Daniel's been untouched, and he says, my God basically closed the mouth of the lions. God was here with me, and he saved me. And Daniel experiences God in the lion's den. And the same God he experiences in the lion's den is the same God that he experiences when he stops and prays three times a day. When we create space with these spiritual practices for God to connect with us. In the midst of our routine day, when we go through difficult circumstances like a lion's den, we're familiar with that presence and we can tap into it and it's powerful. For Daniel, seeking the presence of God plus spiritual practices equals faithfulness. The dangerous thing is when we seek the presence of God, but we subtract spiritual practices. If we do that, if we seek the presence of God, but we subtract spiritual practices, what we get is fickle Christianity. Fickle Christianity. And I think this is something, especially for young people today, that we struggle with. Because we want the experience of God, and we want to feel good. And what happens is when we don't have these practices in our life, the anchor tends to be how I feel about life. And truth is found in how I feel. And so if things are going great, this is good, this must be true. If things are going poorly, then it's not true. And our emotions kind of are our guide when we remove spiritual practices. And so what happens is we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants and we're just kind of... Experiencing life and trying to interpret what life means through our experiences. Nothing grounds us. There's a phrase, the tyranny of the urgent drives us. Uh, This is an an example in my life that I think relates to spirituality, but for me, eating food. uh, We've got, my wife and I have three kids. Our lives are busy, we're constantly chauffeuring them around town, going to school, to different activities. And sometimes we forget to prepare dinner. And so I'm driving home from work, and I get to call what's for dinner. Marcy's like, I don't know. I've been busy all day with kids. I didn't plan anything. And I'm like, nothing sounds good. My wife's pregnant. She's like, nothing ever sounds good. What are we going to do? So what happens, we end up at In-N-Out Burger, (laughs) which is fine once every 10 days. Sometimes that happens two or three times a week. Okay, everyone's disgusted now. No, <laughs> it's not always in an and out Burger. But like the tyranny of the urgent, let's just get something. And so we end up just grabbing Chick-fil-A. And, and so we constantly are saying like, man, I wish we could get planned ahead and, and have a schedule so that we would eat healthy. And, and it never happens because there's always this tyranny of the urgent. I think the same thing happens in our spiritual lives. We're constantly busy and, and the tyranny of the, the urgent, our lives just... We do whatever we can just to get kind of whatever our fix is so that we can survive another day. And spiritually healthy people plan. They put these spiritual disciplines in their life so that when they get into those moments of crisis, they can tap into the power of God. To be intentional about these spiritual practices, to create a rhythm in our life, our schedule, is hard to do, but it's important. Um, whether it's through prayer, reading of the scripture, Bible studies, it's something that we all need to be intentional about. Um, I think that you might think if I, if I do these different things, they're very ritualistic and, and they can become dry or meaningless or just very religious. But I think that another example we would use is uh, the idea of a date night. All the married couples in here know what a date night is, right? It's this time that we've set aside maybe once a week or once a month. And if you ever go to marriage counseling, the counselor says, you need a date night. You just need a night where you can get away and you can focus on your relationship. Um, because life is busy, and if you're not intentional about it. What you never find is a married couple who says, man, the routine of our date night just drains our marriage. Ugh. Like, Don't look forward to that. I mean, just Date night is something that is completely life-giving. And the same thing, I think, is true of our spiritual lives. To set aside time where we have these spiritual practices is where God meets us. We create space for God to meet us. And it allows for transformative uh, faithfulness. Richard Foster, who's we're reading his book uh, in this men's study, says this, in contemporary society, our adversaries uh, adversary majors in three things. Noise, hurry, and crowds. Superficiality is the curse of the age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is the primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is for, not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The purpose of the disciplines is liberation from the stifling slavery, of self-interest, and fear. And I think that's what we find with Daniel. There's this depth to him or he knows who he is, he turns to Jerusalem three times a day and he prays. There's this depth that allows him, in the midst of his impossible situation, to survive. The other equation is spiritual practices without seeking the presence of God equals institutional religion. When we put these practices into place, but we neglect the presence of God, that's when it becomes dry. That's when it becomes just this religious thing that We do because we're supposed to. And there's no relational aspect. I find that the presence of God is the most neglected phenomenon in human history. We think about the presence of the creator of the universe is available to us. We have access to the presence of God every single day. And how often we're just moving so quickly that we... We just do things to mark them off a checklist to get things done, and there's this constant busyness and never this time of stopping and focusing and honing in on who God is in his presence. I often say as a church, I want to be a presence-driven church, that people will know that we've been with Jesus, that we've had encounters with him. Without that, we just get institutional religion. So I would say this. As we kind of look at Daniel's story and we see how he seeks God's presence and he does these spiritual practices, that the church that orders its life around prayer and scripture is best equipped for the difficult circumstances of today and for an unknown future. When the church orders its life around these practices of prayer, much like Daniel, even if it's routine in the study of scripture, We're best equipped for the difficult circumstances in an unknown future. This is true of us as a church. This is true of us individually as followers of Jesus. And at a minimum, it leads to maturity as a community, and at the best, it leads to a great movement of God. And I think that's what we want to see here, is that for God to move through our city, for God to move through our neighborhoods, to move through our families, when we seek his presence, when we put these practices, uh, spiritual disciplines into place. We see transformative faithfulness. I started the message with kind of what happens in the end of this story. We find that Daniel goes into the lion's den. Darius is a mess because he doesn't want to lose Daniel. Uh, He stays up all night. He can't sleep. Daniel goes into the lion's den. And the next morning, Darius shows up, opens up, uh, the, the den, and they find Daniel there alive. God delivers Daniel from the lion's den. And what we find is that there's unbelievable, this unbelievable testimony of God's faithfulness to Daniel. In the midst of our difficult circumstances, I think when we, like Daniel, are faithful, surrendering the outcomes, God shows up. And moves in our lives. Daniel six twenty five 25-28. This is what we opened with. The King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language on the earth. Because of this great story, he says, May you prosper greatly. I issue a new decree, a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This is a complete pagan king saying this about our God. When we're faithful and when we've been with God, there's this unbelievable transformative testimony for the culture around us. That God is good, that He's living, that He endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jeremiah 29, the prophet who is writing about this exile and what it means to be in exile says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper And I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me. Just like Daniel. Daniel calls on God, he comes to pray to him. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, they call on God, they come and pray. Just like Daniel in the impossible situation where Nebuchadnezzar wants him to interpret the dream and if he doesn't, he's going to kill him. He comes to God and he prays. And God says, I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. What we find is that faithfulness is transformative. When we seek the presence of God and we put these spiritual practices into action, that faithfulness can change the world. So we uh, spend time today closing. Matt's going to come back up, and every week we, we just create space to respond. Um, we take communion, and for communion for us uh, represents.